All right, guys, it's time for the next Level Guy Show, a men's interview, interest, and improvement-focused podcast featuring interviews with the greats from all industries to help you better your life. Each week, a new episode features an interview with one of the greats covering all aspects of their story, from life hacks to tips and protocols that have allowed them to live life on the next level. We then highlight concrete action steps that you can use to improve your life. And now, your host, Ian Dawson McKay. And today's guest is the BJJ legend, that is Bernardo Faria. It's a huge honour for me to feature Bernardo Roca da Feria, who is a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu competitor and instructor. His bio is simply amazing. A four-time World Jiu-Jitsu champion, he's won the European Championship, the Pan-American Championship and Brazilian National Championships. He now runs a juggernaut of a BJJ learning platform known as BJJ Fanatics, where you can find an instructional from elite athletes that will help you improve your Jiu-Jitsu game in all areas from training, game style, mindset and so much more. He's become a living legend in the sport. He's been ranked first in the IBJJF World Rankings of All Divisions and in 2015 was chosen as the best Jiu-Jitsu athlete. Faria received his black belt from instructor Ricardo Marquez in 2008 and moved to Alliance Jiu-Jitsu Sao Paulo team to train with Mestre Fabio Gargol in 2009. In June 2022, he was honoured into the IBJJF Hall of Fame. Bernardo currently runs his own Jiu-Jitsu Academy in Bedford, Massachusetts. He's also a member of the Alliance Jiu-Jitsu team and Marcelo Garcia Association. I'm a massive fan also of his YouTube channel, BJJ Fanatics, where he regularly posts techniques alongside other elite Jiu-Jitsu practitioners and MMA fighters, such as Dean Lister, John Danaher and Gordon Ryan. And now... Let's get to the interview. Well, thank you so much for agreeing to come on. You have no idea how much this means to me, but for the few people who maybe don't recognize you, and I doubt there will be many, could you give a quick introduction and why you're a legend in the sport of jiu-jitsu? Yeah, so uh, my name is Bernardo Faria, and uh, um, I started jiu-jitsu when I was 14 years old. And uh, in 2009, I got my black belt. And from 2009 until nowadays, I was able to win five world championships as a black belt. And in 2015, I won what they call like the double gold, which I was like the the, the best athlete for that year mm-hmm. uh, in, in all divisions together. So I won my division and I won the open class, which is the open division. And that was the best year of my career. And then in 2000, in, and at the end of 2014, we started one website. And uh, in 2016, we started the website called BJJ Fanatics, which nowadays is the biggest platform for instructional videos, for martial arts instructional videos. And uh, we have filmed with over 900 instructors and uh, some very big names like Mike Tyson, Khabib, and uh, many others like uh, John Danaher, Gordon Ryan. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think that's who Bernardo is. <laughs> I mean, I've spent a considerable amount of money on some of your instructionals. They are awesome. The, the quality is amazing. But did you feel initial pressure? Because you grew up in a family of academics. Did you, you were wanting to go into, was it civil engineering you were going to go into? Yeah. So my whole family in Brazil, it's one of those very traditional families that, uh, that, uh, that most of my cousins and the, and everybody either become like a doctor or engineer or mm-hmm. dentist or or lawyer something like that you know like and the, so probably like the biggest challenge I faced in my career was this like when I was 14 years old I started doing jiu-jitsu and when I was 15 or 16 that time that you start thinking about what you're going to do for college and this and that I had already decided that I would do jiu-jitsu for a living and uh, so my whole family was against it, and uh, you know, it was a little bit of a soap opera. <laughs> but uh, and, and I loved them, but uh, mm-hmm. but it was just like a challenge to convince them that 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 sport could become something like. 
I love how like something as small as what a parent wants you to do could have completely changed the futures of so many jiu-jitsu athletes in particular. Because you know, yeah. when I look at the number of people whose abilities you have changed over the years, you know, you're a Hall of Famer, you do these amazing things. But when you initially approached it, what was the method of teaching you had? Was it the Roger Gracie become legendary at the fundamentals? Because you're well known as the, like a god of fundamentals. Or did you look at it as, I'm going to just keep trying this because I enjoy it? Did you have a kind of game plan of learning it and developing yeah. your skills? It kind of happened naturally, but uh, I became the type of athlete that uh, it's not great on everything. I was like good on everything, but I had like two, three or four techniques that were my techniques, you know, like, and, and I would do the same techniques against everybody on every match. So I became very specialized on a few moves and I would use those moves against everybody on every single match. And the, for who is familiar with Jiu-Jitsu, that was the half guard when I was on bottom and was the over-under pass when I was on top. And, the, yeah. and I love the quote from Bruce Lee that he says that you should not fear the one who knows 1,000 techniques but you should fear the one who know one technique and has practiced 1,000 times. And uh, that, that was like <laughs> my favorite quotes. Because I think I've seen a flow grappling video with you and it was like your highlights and in the early stages of your career, it was you took them in over underpass, slotted into the knee bar, win. You know, it was just like you made it look so easy. I mean, I'm, I'm, I purchased your jiu-jitsu for old guys where you're over under pressure passing. Phenomenal. It works every time. And it's like... This is designed for old farts like me, you know, like fat farts. <laughs> it is amazing. So, how have you found a way of learning and developing your skills? Because you do it with so much flair and fun for life. But have you found a way that makes it like small, you know, big returns from small investments? Is there a style of learning that suits you? Yeah, and uh, I think like when I started jujitsu, I kind of like quickly realized that jujitsu was very broad. So there was like thousands of techniques to learn like hundreds of subjects mm. and the, and in the beginning i did what everybody does like try to learn a little bit of everything but i was not seeing much progress doing that and then when i started becoming good on one technique or so instead of trying to use everything i was just trying to use that technique over and over and over and over and over and then you you start developing other techniques and details around that technique so it's almost like uh, you mentioned like investing, right? So it's it's almost like uh, uh, you decide that you're going to become an investor. Then you decide that you're going to invest on real estate. And then you decide that you're going to become like a professional investor on commercial real estate. And then you decide that you're going to become a professional investor in commercial real estate between this range and this range. And then you decide it, 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 on this type of city, on this type of... So you go narrow, 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 narrow until to the point that you are better than everybody on that specific aspect, you know, like... So that was a quick analogy here that just made it uh, as you talk about investing, for example. No, I love it. I mean, and do you think that's why? Because, I mean, if anybody says over underpass, you're the first name, you know, you become synonymous with that style of play, that kind of like people, you know, since you see you locked in the half guard, people are just like, well, you may as well just wait till he decides what he's doing. You know, as soon as you you decide you're over underpass, it's he's going to pass. Let's see what he's going with. You know, did you just yeah. re repeat these things in training so much? Like, were you uh, um, like a repetition learner or did you well, just concentrate? Yeah, it was not so much on drilling. I was never like the type of guy who drills a lot. It was more like on training. You know? like, for example, I would train against everybody and force my way to get the over-under pass. So if they pull, if they use the butterfly guard, I would go to the over-under from the butterfly guard. If they play close guard, I would figure out how to go to the over-under pass from the close guard. If they play lasso guard, how can I go to the over-under from the lasso guard? So I was always building ways in my mind to get on that specific position for every other position, you know, like, so, so, so that's kind of like what I did. And again, that happened naturally. Like I didn't, I'm not pretending here that I'm very smart and uh, that I figured out something. I just noticed that I was doing it 
And instead of like giving up and start training a bunch of other techniques, I just kept doing what, what I was doing, you know, like. I mean, your over-under, like, series um, passing, that was amazing. I, could, like, I couldn't understand how you could get into so many positions. You know, you're like, for, if they do Lasso guard, this is how we pass. If they do spider guard, this is how you get to it. And I was like, this is amazing. It's so analytical. It's methodical. And, you know, you can see it step by step. Do you think your sort of interest in engineering and mathematics, was that part of it? Did it give you this kind of analytical mindset, do you think? I always had some sort of like analytical mindset since I was a very young kid. For example, when I was on school, math was always like my favorite subject. You know, like Ooh, I always not, not for like, me. <laughs> really, and, uh, and it's it's funny that many times when I was competing uh, in jiu-jitsu, there are scores, right? Like you score two points for sweep, four points for if you get the mount, two points for takedown, three points if you pass the guard. Many times during the match, I was doing some math in my mind. You know, like, for example, if I'm winning by five points versus two in my mind i was like the only thing that cannot happen here is he taking my back because he would score four points so i would protect everything i could to not let so i was always like playing numbers in my mind even when i was competing you know like so i do have some analytical mindset for sure but uh i don't know how much that contributed to to, to the over under or the half because you know? <laughs> i do really love that video where you're i think it's you're caught in a toehold and you're looking at the clock and it's like eight seconds. Yeah, I don't, exactly. exactly. You're just like in your head, yeah. I'm not screaming. I'm just letting it go. And it's, it's amazing how chill that, you look. <laughs> yeah, that was one of the most important matches I ever had. So uh, it was the very finals of the Worlds in 2015. And I was winning by points, by a lot of points. So in my mind, I was like, the only thing that cannot happen here is a submission. And then eight seconds left my opponent attacking my foot with a toehold. So in my mind, I was like, I can resist any pain in the world for eight seconds. I'm not going to tap. I'm going to keep the, like that, that type of like a regular face, you know, like a, not emotions because in your jiu if, if for some reason you scream, that's considered a tap. Okay. So I was like, I cannot scream. I cannot tap. And I cannot change my face to make sure that the referee doesn't think that I'm screaming, you know, like, so. It was, it was a fun moment. So when you're, I mean, when you look at your list of results, it's like gold everywhere. You know, like you're like a million dollar man. You know, you've got gold, 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 basically the whole way down it. How do you start your game plan for this? Is it like you were saying earlier where you would actually go in and think, it doesn't really matter what you're doing. I'm going to get you into this position. I'll just move, maneuver you into that position and then take you where I need you to go. Yeah, so I see like some very, very, very high level athletes. Like I, I would almost say like the most of the, the extraordinary people that I know, like uh, I'm talking about like Jorge Gracie, Gordon Ryan, Khabib, they have a mindset, Marcelo Garcia, they have a mindset that it's almost like nobody is good. You know, like it's in their minds, they never imagine themselves losing. I was not like that. I didn't have that confidence. So I was more like, I built my confidence on my way, you know, like I, I, I never felt that I, they would never lose, you know, like, and they, I wish I was like that. Maybe I would even go further. So I'm just saying, uh, but I in my you, mind, very, you did very well. <laughs> no, but I, these guys did even better than me, I think. But, uh, but, uh, I was always the type of guy that, uh, uh, I build my confidence. Like every tournament I won, I got a little more confident to the next tournament. You know, like I wish I was like Roger Gordon, Marcelo, Khabib, you know, that they don't see themselves losing. You know, like I, mm. I really admired those people, but I wasn't like that. So I had to figure out my way to win, to achieve what I achieved. And I think it was a lot about building the confidence. Uh, was a lot by like little by little winning this tournament, believing that I can win the next tournament. Then I got second in the next tournament, and, but I was like, man, it was almost I can do this. Then I won the other one. Then I was like, oh, I think I can. so. It was to me it was like a, almost like a letter step by step type of thing. Okay, I mean that's what I loved when I was listening to you. I think it was the flow grappling video, and you were saying how 
you didn't believe in yourself until Purple Belt. And, you know, you felt like you were facing yourself when you were going into these things. And that's the way I feel. Like, I struggle with believing in myself. I always give too much credit to my opponent. Was that how you did it? The incremental changes? Was the incremental? In my way, in my case, it was the incremental changes, you know, like, because I, I am exactly what you describe it, you know, like, uh, I never believe on myself 100%, you know, like, uh, I can always picture, I'm kind of like optimist enough that I can beat everybody, but mm. I'm also pessimist enough that I can lose to anybody. <laughs> so, I was always like in the in this middle. And, and then I had to, when I used to go to compete, I almost had two two voices in my head, you know, like one was like, you can do this, you're going to win. You, There's no way you're going to lose today. And there was another voice here that was like, ay, 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 that guy that guy's tough. You get ready. Like, I don't know if you... Oh, yeah. So I had to barrel those two voices and force myself to listen more views one than views one, you know, because... And and the... Where did that confidence come from? Was it literally just kind of, I almost got that guy. I got him into my position here. You know, did you start looking at losses as a learning achievement rather than a... Like, because I used to moan about it the whole weekend. It would destroy my confidence if I tapped silly things like that, you know. Did you start looking at losses as a, right, I'm going to work on this, I'm going to work on that, and look for gaps to fill in your game? Yeah, so uh, uh, I think if I had to point one thing in my entire career, uh, in the jiu-jitsu career, uh, now even like in the the business, that I, I really admire on myself is like work ethic, you know, like so... Hmm. Uh, I keep my work ethic no matter what, you know, like, so if I'm going to compete this weekend and I'm going to lose in the first match on Monday, I'm going to show up in the 12 o'clock class and I'm going to show up in the six o'clock class when I was competing. Right. And if I won the tournament, I'm going to do the same thing. Actually, I always gave myself before the tournament, I would rest for two days. And after the tournament, I would rest for two or three days as well, just so I could recover. But uh, so, for example, on Tuesday, I would train no matter what, if I lost or if I won. And I think the same thing in, in business, you know, like if I, if we had like a bad month or bad deal or, or if something wrong is happening, I'm going to wake up next day and I'm going to do exactly the same thing that I would do if things were going well, you know. Like, so uh, I always try to stay stable on my work ethic, you know, like and the and the, this is like the, I think the one thing that uh, that I look backwards and I see like a parameter in my life on every years of my career, and isn't that you know like? And where do you think that comes from? Is that from like your parents? Do you think seeing like your you know initially when your dad said you can go and do jujitsu, but that's up to you know you've got to make it work, and then when you were talking of coming out of it, they said okay, we'll pay your room and board you know, you've gone far enough that we think you can do it. Do you think their encouragement, seeing what they had done previously? I think it's a group of things. So, for example, since my the start of my career in Jiu-Jitsu, I always had a lot of pressure on me, right? Because I had to make that thing happen. Like, uh, I was the only one in my family that was, like, going going against the traditional path, right? Like, uh, hmm. becoming this type of profession and this and that. And uh, and I never knew if I would make it happen. Like jiu-jitsu was pretty small at that time. Now it's a big sport, and isn't that? And even being a big sport, you know how hard it is to make it to the top. You know, like so I had a lot of pressure on myself, and uh, I was lucky to have great examples in my life. So, for example, uh, I grew up seeing my dad leaving my house eight a.m. and coming back eight p.m. And uh, uh, and I grew up seeing my mom. My mom was like she didn't work she was a mom of three kids but she was that type of person that from the time she woke up until the time she goes to sleep she was doing something to us you know like she was bringing us to school picking up to school go to the dances go to the the, the soccer come back bring this one to the house the friend's house go so she was always 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 like working to herself to us right and she was doing like what what was she was supposed to do. So those two examples. Then when I started Jiu-Jitsu, my first instructor, Ricardo Marques, I never saw in my life, and I was there from 2001 to 2009, I never saw him skipping one class in nine years. 
never. I, I maybe he never got sick, or or maybe he would go there sick, teach anyways. And uh, I saw like relatives dying, and the and in the day of the funeral, he would still go there and teach the class, and and uh, so I never saw him missing like one jiu-jitsu class, you know, like to teach us, you know, like so. And then I went to train Fabio Gurgel, and I think he's probably the most professional jiu-jitsu school owner and jiu-jitsu jiu instructor. And then I moved to New York City and went to train under Marcelo Garcia, which is the most disciplined <laughs> and almost like paranoid athlete that I ever saw in my life. Like he is, he is that type of guy that he's going to do everything perfect for his career, you know, like. And then, uh, and then my business partners as well, both Michael Zang and Michael Reardon, they are very like uh, straightforward as well, and isn't that? So, I always had great examples in my life, you know. Like, so I think, that, and that was just lucky, you know. Like, and and the uh, don't don't it's not my credit here, like because uh, I was lucky to have those guys, this type of people around me, you know, like. Well, they do say you're the average of the five people that you're around. And, I mean, to have such a phenomenal set of parents and, you know, business partners. I mean, you, you've you worked with some amazing people over the years. And, you know, I, I liked how you decided you wanted to up your uh, level of jiu-jitsu. So you went to Marcella. Yeah, Garcia. You know, it was just like, as you do. <laughs> just, you know, yeah. I mean, you always seem to be pushing yourself. What do you think you've learned from working with so many phenomenal people? Have you kind of... Like what? What have you noticed in the similarities with the elites of jiu-jitsu? Is there certain ways they behave, their behaviors, their techniques, etc.? Yeah. So I think like uh, being around the best people, it's almost like it's not guaranteed where you're gonna get, where you're gonna go, but it's almost like guaranteed that might be really hard to fail. You know, like that's kind of how I think because when I look backwards in my career, I think the two most important decisions that I made in my life was one to move from my hometown to Sao Paulo to train mm -hmm. under Fabio Gorgel, which was the best jiu-jitsu school at that time. And two, to move from Sao Paulo to New York City to train under Marcelo Garcia and be in the United States because I believe that uh, the best economy in the world is the United States still. So you were around the, the best people not the best people but the you you are in the best market so i think when you are in the best market with the right people it's really hard to 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 fail you know like so i i, I don't even know if i would be if even if i didn't build bgj fanatics for example i think things would go right in my life because those two decisions you know because like, i went to sao paulo i built my jiu-jitsu career then i went to marcelo I learned from him. My jiu-jitsu career got even deeper, and I was in the United States legally. New York City is one of the best places in the world to build network, and uh, and you see, like I met my business partner because I was living in New York and he was living in Boston, so it was was kind of like the almost like the network, and then we started TGJ Fanatics. So I think being around the best people it's one of the most essential things in life, and. The, I have a daughter and this is what I want to teach her. If she tells me like, oh, I want to become a painter. Let's research who are the best painters in the <laughs> world. <laughs> Go reach out to them. Tell them that you want to work for free, do whatever you, you need, but be around those people. You're going to become the best painter quick, you know, like. I mean, you've got this amazing lust for life. You know, you're so happy. You're always smiling. How do you juggle the, you know, training, running your academy, then you bounce into the BJJ fanatics. Then you're being a family man. You're taking your wife out on dates. You know, you know, you seem to be absolutely besotted by your wife. You're an amazing father. You're doing all these amazing things. How how do you juggle these conflicting demands? Because you must be knackered doing jiu-jitsu. I crawl out of training sometimes. How do you keep this juggernaut moving? I, I think like it's gonna look like cliche, but uh, it's what everybody says, right? When you do something that you love, that you have passion about it, it's much less hard. It's still very hard, but it's much less hard. And uh, I, I, I mean, like some days, I'm I, looks looks like I'm always happy, but I'm like everybody. Some days I'm in a bad mood as well, and isn't that? But I try to keep 
most of my days and most of my time happy. And uh, uh, there is a quote that I love that is like, sadness doesn't pay the bills. So <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> just being sad is not going to help you much. So I, I try That's to just good. like, uh, uh, as long as I'm waking up happy, uh, healthy and uh, and I can do what I what I want to do. And, uh, and uh, I think every day is a new opportunity, you know, like, so... I try to be to to, to just be happy. Like okay. it, like it. I mean, these those two decisions you made when you left to Sao Paulo and when you went to you know to America, these were like life changing, like massive steps. How did you overcome the fear? Was it? Did you just look at it as in a, this is analytical? I need to do these things. I need to be surrounded by the best people. So this is where I need to go. Did you struggle initially to, to overcome that fear of leaving? What would you say to somebody in a similar situation? Yeah, I mean, like, uh, uh, for example, when I moved to São Paulo, for example, uh, financially was, was was not the best decision because it was, was, was hard, right? I was moving to a big city without mm -hmm. income. Then uh, my dad helped for, for a little bit. And the, but I think like anytime you're taking those very, 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 very big decisions in life, like what are you going to do next? Where are you going? Who are you going to marry? And this and that. I think those times it's better to feel like your heart than to try to be analytical. You know, like, because yeah, yeah if we, when I was moving to Sao Paulo, for example, if I would put in the paper everything, you know, like where I would live, how much it would cost, how comfortable that would be. Because it was, I was living for a bunch of fighters on a very small apartment, sharing rooms, like literally like a, the guy nearby me used to snore a lot. <laughs> I'm like, don't put everything in the paper because you're going to end up giving up, you know, like, but, uh, but hmm. something was telling me that, uh, that uh, Sao Paulo was the best place. My heart was kind of telling me, you know, like, this is the, do, do this, like, this is, and, uh, and kind of like same thing when I moved to New York City as well, because... I went to live in Harlem with an apartment, with a bunch of fighters, and the uh, and the. Uh, so if you keep thinking like about how comfortable that it's gonna be, uh, how much I'm gonna make, uh, you just start. I think that those very big decisions. I think it's better to follow like your heart. You know, like are are you doing what you love to do, or you, and the. So that's kind of like how I try to think. Because, I mean, you said once that you like to attack it when you compete. You know, the first thing you're thinking is, I'm not going to let them come at me. I'm just going to go straight at them. I'm going to, it's almost like you roar like a lion and chase them down and really push at them. Do you think that's also what you do in life? You kind of, I'm going to attack, I'm going to do this first. I'm not even going to let myself get a chance to be scared. I just, need, I'm going to do this because it's the best thing for me. Yeah, so... uh my whole thing is to make sure that I did my very, very best that I could, you know, like, mm. and, uh, and this is a, is a challenge in between being a professional athlete and, and business because business is not always whoever does the best wins, you know, like it's, it's, it's a lot about being smart as well and seeing how you spend your time, you know, like, and, uh, but in, as a professional athlete it was a little simpler, you know, it was like, I have to train as hard as I can. And when it's time to compete, I don't care whoever, who I'm competing with. I'm going to put my all my sweat over there and I'm going <laughs> to go as hard as I can for that time. And I'm going to make sure that I prepare enough hmm. to be able to go as hard as I can from the first second to the last second. You know, like, and the... Uh, and I, I, I try to do the same thing in, in business as well, but in business, you need to plan even better, you know, because like, just waking up and working all day long until the time you go to sleep doesn't necessarily mean that you're, you're doing the right thing, you know, like, so, um, so this is a little different between both. So how do you sort of look at your opponents then? Like, you know, when you were coming up and facing like these amazing champions, the elite of the elite, how did you just stop giving them the credit and think, yeah, right, I'm just going to get you, take you down, and I'm going to go into here. I'm going to attack first. You know, going against the traditional, like, rookie letting the master come to them kind of thing. How did you work that kind of game plan like you know how, how do you stop giving credit to your opponents and, and let it be a battle of you v you 
but also give yourself credit to to be the, the person you know you can be? Yeah, so to me, and uh, it, it, it's almost like irrational. So don't 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 take it and uh, say that this is right. But to <laughs> me, I was literally like building my confidence as I went. Right. So for example, many times it would happen that I I beat this guy, that beat that that other guy over there that I thought was much better than me. So in my mind, now wait a second, if I beat this guy that beat him, why can I not beat him? You know, like. Mm -hmm. So, so that's kind of like how I always try to think. And uh, but it, th that doesn't mean that it's right because in jiu-jitsu many times I beat you, you beat him, and he beats me. That happens quite often. And uh, yep. but but I use that just as a way to build my confidence. You know, like wait a second, if I beat Ian and Ian beat uh, John, why can I not beat John? You know, like or maybe like if I won this tournament as a purple belt. And most of the people who wins by purple belt wins by brown, as a brown belt. Why can I not win as a brown belt? You know, like if I won this tournament as a brown belt, and most of the people that wins as a brown belt wins as a black belt, why can I not win as a black belt? So I always had these conversations with myself, and uh, but many times as well, I would lose matches that I didn't think I would lose. You know, like so I always had, I also had that in my mind that okay, I can lose to anybody, but I can also beat anybody you know like and the and the and the and that mindset took me where i got but i wish i had that mindset that uh i don't even see myself losing you know like i, I some people it would are be like good, huh? very <laughs> yeah. impressive very very impressive it's time for a quick break there are millions of potential products to buy, so how do you know which ones are worth your hard-earned money? Simple. You go to nextlevelguy.com affiliates and explore those that will transform and improve your life. You'll find deals, listener exclusives, and special offers with some great companies. Recommendations are 100% honest and only on items Ian has tried or believes in. The companies showcased will make you a better man in all areas of your life. Simply go to nextlevelguy.com slash affiliates and level up. I mean, I was really impressed with your mindset, though, when you were discussing, like, I wasn't clicking in this tournament, so I went and started to learn to wrestle. I wasn't clicking here, so I went and started physical therapy, where we kind of worked on really dialing in my biomechanics, my body movement, all these amazing things, and... I think that's the great thing about you is you kind of just look and see a problem, fix it, move in. You know, you kind of, it's the analytical mindset, but also the lust for life that you have. How did taking on wrestling and physical therapy, how did that help your game and develop you as a jiu-jitsu practitioner? Yeah, so I was always trying to develop myself and and I was also always trying to test this stuff, you know, like, so for example, I tested training jiu-jitsu as hard as i could three times per day but then i noticed that my body was getting very tired then and then i was not showing up with good performance on each training hmm. so i tested training twice a day and drilling one time per day but then i noticed that i was not the biggest fan of drilling and i was not enjoying doing that then i tested doing judo i tested doing wrestling i tested doing physical conditioning I tested, so i was constantly testing stuff and to see, like, what was the thing that worked the best to me. And the tournament for me was my test, you know, like, wait a second. This year I'm doing judo. How was my performance? This year I'm doing wrestling. How is my performance? This year. So I was always, like, testing in, in the training yeah. and watching the results in the tournament. You know, like, that's kind of like a... And the... And the and again, coincidence, like uh, with, uh, with business and this and that, on, on website, a lot of work of the website is what they call the A-B test. So you create one version, A, version B, you drive traffic and you see which version ver which version wins, and then you maintain that version. Then you create another. So you, so it's, it's fun to see like that there is a lot of similarities of being a professional athlete and business. And there are a lot of things that are very different as well. So... And do you think, like, that? because you married into the Gracie family, 
do you think that kind of like the extra pressure to become a jiu-jitsu legend that your wife's a member of such an elite family you know do you, do you ever think and go oh i better be able to beat her, the, her relatives you know do you have roles at christmas time and that sort of thing no not really because uh, i met her in 2013 and uh, back then i was already like a three times black belt world champion so that didn't interfere at all and uh, and uh, and and i also wouldn't feel pressure because they all the gracie family members they were always super nice to me since day mm. one you know and uh, and i was i was not the one who had the the last name gracie right so i was never i never had that pressure you know like and, uh, I never. I, I think like whoever is born in the family and do jujitsu, and uh, if you don't have a strong mindset, I think that can happen, right? Because everybody is expecting that you, you, you have yeah. to win. Because it, and and nobody has to win. Like nobody, winning is hard, you know. Like and the, it's not because you were born in this or that family that you will win. So so. But anyways, but uh, they always. They were always super nice to me, and uh, I was always very nice to them. But I never carried any pressure because that, even though I met my wife much later than. I mean, I'm a big fan of like BJJ fanatics. You know, it's a phenomenal site. You've changed so many lives in that. But I love how it sort of links back to what you said earlier about going and finding the right people. And when you and Michael met at a seminar, you you were trying to find the right information, and you were traveling around the world. Is that story true that you created it because you couldn't find a natural source for jujitsu growth and evolution of skills? That's pretty much the right story, but just a little bit different. So what happened was my business partner, Michael, he reached out to me to make a, a DVD. He was, he was making some DVDs as a side job at that time. And mm -hmm. uh, and the, he wanted to, in reality, he wanted to learn jujitsu, like, because... <laughs> He, lo he loved Hefger and he loved the over-underpass. And then he found myself online uh, doing those techniques. And then he reached out to me and ended up not making the DVD with him because I was already signed with one another company pretty much. And then he, he invited me to go teach a seminar in Boston that he would organize, even though he didn't have a school or anything like that. He would just organize the seminar. And, uh, and he invited me to sleep on his house to teach him a private lesson next day in the morning. And then that night, we pretty much didn't sleep. You know? like we went until like 5 a.m. or so just talking about jujitsu. He was showing me all the business that he used to do in the past and this and that. Mm. And then we became great friends. But but then we were stuck with that. You know, like We were like, wait a second. Look at this. In order for me to learn your half and your over-under, I had to travel you from New York City to Boston to take a private lesson with you. And that was the only way I could learn it from you. So, and then the idea came out and like, so why don't you create like a website that we can host all the instructors and uh, deliver the best Jiu-Jitsu techniques to the customers, you know, like, and uh, that was kind of like the idea and how we, we started. Because I can't remember exactly where I found it, but I, it was like opening up and there was like a, ga a video game. There were all these treasures sitting there. You know, there was like Gordon Ryan, John Donahar. There was, there was like, like, I've got like your fundamental series. I've got your, um, over the BGJ for the older guys over under pressure passing. You know, when I look at it, it's such a wide variety of it. But for somebody who's coming in or somebody who's buying instructionals, how would you advise them to add them to their game? How can we train, but also implement instructionals? How should we best use these amazing tools? Yeah, so even though I sell online courses, uh, I want to be honest, and I think like in Jiu-Jitsu, it's very important that you also practice Jiu-Jitsu. So hmm. you're not going to learn Jiu-Jitsu and become a black belt just by watching. You know, like, so I do think... That's a shame. You, yeah, I do think you have to practice as well. So I think the jiu-jitsu videos become a huge complement to your learning. It's almost like uh, uh, someone teaching you, teach you live how to do something. And then you go home thinking about it. And how can you study that even deeper? And I think that's where the online courses comes in, you know, like, so 
you briefly learn on your mind and you want to go much deeper, then you go online and you learn that instructional, you watch that instructional and you can go much, much, much deeper because you can pause, you can go back, you can watch again, you can watch again and again and again and helps you a lot to memory that and go back next day and train. And by the way, there's a lot of customers that they actually bring the iPad to the mat and they watch the technique and they do right away. Or either an iPad or iPhone or whatever. So uh, I think it's a great complement to your learning, you know. Because when I look at how much money I've spent there and on geese and, you know, anything jujitsu. Um, at that moment, like I had to take some time out with an injury, and I was like, I need to get back to it. And I'm waiting, um, I'm going back in a couple of weeks when I can get signed back in. And it's like, what? I'm so I'm itching to go, and I keep watching instructionals. Do you think we should like be what for people who are struggling to train, for example, with kids, etc.? Do you say we should be watching and taking notes? Do you think uh, mental reps? What What did you do when you were like, downtime with surgery, etc.? Yeah, so at my time, there was no internet. Right? I mean, like in 2001 or so, it was, was like uh, VHS, right? And uh, I had some VHS. And, uh, Those are the and good I days. But, but it was, was not convenient, you know, like mm. you had to. So nowadays, I think it's much, much easier, you know, like, and for example, I think the internet is changing the world about this. Because, for example, nowadays, pretty much any subject that I want to learn, I mix like books and online. So for example, if I'm trying to learn uh, what you're talking about, A-B tests on the website, I try to read one book and watch one course. You know, like if I read one book and watch one course, I'm pretty good on that subject, you know, like. And uh, I think it's just kind of becoming the same thing. You know, like you go to class, your instructor instructor teach you the jiu-jitsu that he teaches, you practice, and then you go home and you watch other courses either related or not related to what you just learned and hmm. uh, and i think you can develop your jiu-jitsu much faster you know like and the, kind of like the proof of that in my opinion is what happened with the heel hooks right like um i think Bing lister was one of the first ones to start doing it. and then john Danaher developed a whole system around that and uh, we were able to partner up with john and and sell his instructional videos. And then you go watch a Nogi tournament nowadays, and all you see it's the John Danaher system for heel hooks, you know, like that. Yeah. Everybody was doing the heel hooks, and they all doing the same way. So I think that's a big proof of like uh, how people learn online, you know. Like. So, what would you say to people? Like, say somebody comes in, they've been watching a couple of your instructionals, they're training, they're feeling good. When you when you would go and compete at this high level, how did you get yourself mentally ready? You know, did you have a certain like warm up that you would do? Would you go and meditate before a, a competition? How did you become this elite animal that you become? You know, because you're so happy and jokey, and then you seem to just become this lion on the mats. How did you flick that switch, or did you just stay the same Bernardo and just kick ass? Yeah, so I, I I did psychologist uh, since I was since 2006, and I still do it. And the, the, and the, that helped me a lot. And the 2006, I was a purple belt, and that helped me a lot to kind of because many times you go do something very important in life, and because that thing is so important, you ended up not enjoying what you're doing, hmm. even though. It's what you want to do and what you love doing. But there's so much pressure f- from yourself that it's not an enjoyable thing, you know? Like, it's just like, so it's almost like a bad thing because you have so much pressure on yourself that you ended up not enjoying. So the main thing that I learned through a lot of, like, psychological sessions was how to kind of, like, enjoy the present moment that you're living ignoring all the rest you know like so so many times when i was in the tournament either in the day of the tournament or in the finals i would have conversations with myself telling myself hey i dreamed to be here and i got no injuries i trained as hard as i could this is a dream you know like because man how many times you go to a tournament and then in the week of the tournament you get a very bad injury and you show up like 
mm. not 100%. Or you get sick or, or, or for some reason you can't compete. Or so in the day of the tournament, I would try to be very nice to myself. Like, Hey, this is, I dream of this day. Like this is my dream and I'm here. And I was able to get here healthy, safe. Uh, I trained as hard as I could. And then I would win the first match. I would win the second match. I would go to the finals. Then when I was in the finals, many times I would look to my opponent. I would see him very nervous because it's the finals of the world championship. Maybe yeah. maybe he never won and like that. And in my mind, I would talk to myself and say like, hey, this was my dream. Like, I make it to the finals. I made it. I'm in the finals. Now I have one more step. Let's go. And, and uh, instead of feel pressure about it, I would try to feel happy about it. And I would try to enjoy every single moment of that that thing you know like and for example when i look backwards in my career in jiu-jitsu the open class tournament happens on saturday until the finals and the finals is on sunday and that window between saturday and sunday was literally like the best moments of my life you know like and uh, you finish that day you do a bunch of interviews everybody congratulates you you did amazing. You were in the finals. There's a bunch of expectation. Then next day you wake up. Everybody has a bunch of like, oh, you're in the finals, finals of the open class of the words. That's incredible. That's amazing. And then you, you show up in the gymnasium. Everybody's kind of like pointing to you like, oh, he's in the finals of the open class. Hing against hing. So I, I would really try to enjoy those moments. You know, like uh, it's that have, for example, make it to the open class of the words. World's Open Class Finals. I made it twice in my life, two times in my life. So I'm really glad that I enjoyed those two times. You know, like, and yeah. I was a champion. I won one Open Class and I lost in the finals the other one. But so, so that's what I'm saying. Like, uh, you can choose if you're gonna enjoy or if you're gonna feel pressure and hate that moment. So I, lo- I love that. I love that way of looking at it. It's like enjoying the moment rather than putting more pressure on yourself. And I mean, I interviewed um, Stefan Kestin and Rob Bernacki, uh, two phenomenal BJJ coaches. And one of the things they were saying was that jiu-jitsu is one of the only sports where you don't really coach. Um, sorry, you don't really, if you don't compete, you're not really playing your sport because you go to training. You know, like you do football, you turn up at training sessions, but then you play the game on Saturday. In jiu-jitsu, some people can only roll at their club you know, they don't actually ever compete outside it. So the roles become like driven by ego, by masculinity, etc. Do you think in that sense that everybody should train and everybody should compete? Do you think we all need to compete to truly understand jiu-jitsu? I think it depends how you are training. You know? like, so for example, I was training for competition. Like I was training to try to become the best athlete in the world. So when I was training, I would go as hard as I could, you know, mm-hmm. like, and, the, and, the, and I, would, I would try to train more with who had the same mindset that I had because I didn't want to train for blue belt, 40 years old, that's training for a hobby and go as hard as I can. You know, like, I might not even hurting him. But, but for example, when I was training with Mateus, with Marcelo, uh, with uh, John Satava, with Marcus Tinoco. Just small I challenges. <laughs> I would really pretend that I'm in a tournament, you know, like, but, but if that being said, if they tap me, that's great. Let's go like, shake hands and go again, you know, like, and yeah. they, don't get mad because you didn't do well, because that's going to happen. You know, like if you train every single row with that type of level, you're going to tap a lot, you know, like you're going to get your guard passing a lot. You're going to get swapped a lot. You're going to get taken down a lot. So you got to be, my, my, my thing was always to go as hard as I could, but also be humble to myself and to my training partners. You know, like I would never be arrogant or, or so, so I agree with what they said, but I just agree that, that you should not go. I think you should, if you're training to win the tournaments, you should train really hard yeah. with, you know, so but uh, but I agree with them that uh, that they should not be controlled by that ego, and mm-hmm. uh, and etc. You know, 
because it's a it's a real challenge to to come in as a guy in the street who thinks I could be everybody, and then you're getting armbarred by a fifteen year old girl because she knows leverages and technique. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah so it, I think the key here is to it's to be able to manage your ego, you know, like and the, and be humble enough to understand that it's you're gonna tap. Some days people will be better than you, mm. and. Uh, you know, where do you think your sort of humbleness comes from? You know, because you've achieved some of the the highest of the highs, but you're constantly so friendly to everybody. You know, like you you see some people like almost think they're the best. Like you know, and you people don't deserve to talk to them, but you always seem so friendly and warm. You're helping everybody. You're encouraging. Where does your humbleness come from? Yeah, like I think, uh, and I think. <laughs> I try to live life how how jiu-jitsu is, you know, like, and for example, if you are on the mat, everybody is the same, you know, like on the Mm -hmm. mat, there is no rich or poor person. There is no uh, race. There is no color. There is no age. Everybody is the same, you know, like, and uh, I think like when when you engage with someone in the real world, it's a person just like you, you know, like, so why are you going to undertreat that person or why are you going to, and, and, you know, so I always try to be nice to everybody and, and you treat treat them like you want to be treated kind of thing. Yeah. 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 You know, and, and and I mean, like we, we live in a society, right? Like, and we, if we were leaving the moon and there was nobody around it, <laughs> but we, we gotta be nice to people, you know, like we are all sharing this earth real estate here, you know, like, so. And I mean, I've, I, tried to... I mean, you've, you must've made some amazing friends. Like I've, it's jujitsu changed my life. I made some of the best friends I've ever had from it. Um, I mean, how did it change you becoming a father, getting married, you know, how, having those kind of responsibilities but also building this juggernaut of an empire while competing while training while having your own business how how did it change your eyes to having somebody dependent on you like you know like uh your own child has it kind of helped you understand where your parents came from their kind of approach to life etc yeah, so uh, I think you're right. I think uh, the family matters a lot. So if you see my both parents, they are exactly how I'm describing here. Like they they treat everybody very well. I never saw my dad or my mom being rude or arrogant to anybody. You know, like and the and the. So I think that's one. And the, I think like even in the jiu-jitsu world, you can learn from it as well. Because mm-hmm. if you go to a jiu-jitsu school where the instructor is arrogant and has a big ego many times most of the students are the same way they hate tapping they get mad when they tap and isn't that and when you go to a school where the instructor is very nice is polite treat everybody very well he doesn't care if you pass his guard or if you tap him and he doesn't get mad the students are the same you know like so i think we we get a whoever is the you 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 if you were for example my parents were the leaders of my family right and mm-hmm. the, and then i'm like this my brothers are like this when you have a jiu-jitsu school and you're the instructor you're the leader of your group so these students so i think that it matters a lot who where you came from and and that kind of stuff I mean, and how did it change you? Like, did you, were you able to still, like, you know, say somebody has got a new father, how should they sort of change their training approach? Or is it just okay to go to training as much as you can? People coming back from injuries. How do we get over that initial hurdle of having a big life event? You know, like some people probably terrified of going back since COVID. Apart from getting, a, you know, an instructional from BGJ Fanatics, what else should they do? When what, like, how can we make jiu-jitsu a lifestyle rather than just a hobby? Huh, that's a good question. Uh, let me, I think like uh, we got to, uh, I think we got to try to learn, use jiu-jitsu in life kind of, you know, like, and that's kind of like what I try to do. Uh, I don't, what was exactly the question? Sorry, Ian, can you? 
I mean, it's just like, how would you make, because you seem to live jujitsu, how would you make jujitsu a lifestyle? Like if you were, say you were like me, a, a overweight Scottish guy trying to get back into jujitsu, how would you make it a lifestyle rather than just a hobby? How would you fall back in love with it, say, if somebody was struggling or had a kid and they were wanting to get back into training but struggling? That's a good question, and I, I never really like thought about this question, like how to make a jujitsu a lifestyle instead of just a hobby. I think like if you do jujitsu, maybe you don't even compete it, but you take it very serious and you want to get better. It's gonna end up becoming your lifestyle, and I'm gonna give mm -hmm. an example. Like if you're taking jujitsu serious and you're gonna train tomorrow. And if you go to a bar and drink all night long tonight, you're not going to have a good training tomorrow, you know, like, so, so, so you got to make choices here. Like, uh, is your lifestyle to go to the bar and stay drinking until very late at night? Or is your lifestyle to wake up early and go train jiu-jitsu? Doesn't no. make sense. And uh, so I think like if you take jiu-jitsu serious, it's going to affect your nutrition it's going to affect your routine. It's going to affect how you handle things because in Jiu-Jitsu, we learn a lot about how to be comfortable on uncomfortable positions, right? So if someone is mounting on you and trying to choke you, if you get desperate, it's not going to help you. And I think you can start bringing that to life as well. You know, like you're in a bad position in life. Getting desperate is not going to help. Right. So how can we get out of that situation? So... Uh, uh but uh and, and i bet you mentioned yourself as well and uh, just by how much you love jiu-jitsu i bet that jiu-jitsu is your lifestyle and maybe you don't even know you know like because <laughs> when uh, i've interviewed uh, like josh setledge and he's a he's very a big component on weight training as well you know getting fit to win more matches and building endurance and stuff and i remember speaking to him and he said he gets up at 3.15 and goes and trains with his friends at 4.15 because that's the time most of them can meet up. So there's always way, you know, we all get the same 24 hours. There's ways around it. Are there habits you've adopted that have made you the the man you are today? Do you like journal? Do you meditate? Do you visualize? Do you goal set? Or do you just try to live in the moment and just enjoy life as it comes? Yeah, I'm always trying to uh, improve my everything I'm doing, you know, like, so I'm always trying to optimize what I'm doing. And for example, you mentioned like waking up 3.15 a.m. At some point I tried waking up 5 a.m. It was not 3.15. Horrible. <laughs> didn't, didn't work well for me, you know, like it was not like a, because I think sometimes you got to put in the balance as well that we live once and you got to enjoy our life, right? Mm -hmm. So I was not enjoying going to sleep 9 p.m., you know, like, or 10 p.m. And, and, and I tested as well. If I sleep only five or six hours per night, next day I don't have a good day, you know. I'm not productive, I'm tired, my thinking is not great, I'm kind of in a bad mood. So I need like seven to eight hours of sleep. So going to sleep 9 p.m. and waking up 5 a.m., I didn't enjoy, you know, like it was, was not for me. I really respect who does it. And if it works for whoever it is, it's yeah. great. I think we should try and test the stuff and question ourselves if it was a good choice or not a good choice. So, and uh, I think sometimes I even over question myself because I'm always questioning myself everything, you know, and I doing the right thing and I doing the wrong thing. And I was it good or was it, was it bad? And, and I'm constantly trying to make the right decisions, you know, like, okay, I think the best time for me to wake up is like seven and I go to sleep at 1130. My day is productive. I spend time with my wife, with my daughter. I have time at night to read. And the and the so I'm always experimenting stuff mm. and questioning what was the best way to to be productive and to enjoy as well. You know, like I suppose that comes from your analytical mindset as well. You know, you create like the A B testing. You're finding out what works, what doesn't work, and you know, many times what works for you doesn't work for me. What works for me doesn't work for you. So mm. there is no formula. You know, like and the. 
Oh no, it's a great way of looking at it. I mean, I love how just even like how humble you are, just sort of saying, "Find what works for you." You know, don't always follow me, and it's it's. Yeah, don't follow everything. <laughs> <laughs> I love I love the way you look at it because you're constantly learning, you're constantly growing. But how would you want jujitsu to change? How would you know to go forward to make it like an Olympic sport to make it more like to get more and more people into this amazing sport? How would you change the way it's coached? Would you change the way it's structured? Say you could wave a wand just now. What would you do to yeah, jiu-jitsu? So I think that's happening naturally. But uh, the change, which is not like a change, but what I would like to see in jiu-jitsu is more people exposed to good jiu-jitsu. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and when I mean good jiu-jitsu, I'm not talking about like the best technique. I'm talking about like one environment that it's welcoming for that person. You know, like, so I'm going to give you an example like many years ago, 20 years ago, you would start jiu-jitsu and in the first day, the instructor would pull you to row with that crazy tough blue belt and that yep. blue belt would crap of you and next day, you quit jiu-jitsu and you hate it and you never do that again. So it was not a good experience, you know. Like mm. I think now we are finding a point, point where most of the jiu-jitsu schools understand that, understand that, hey, in order for this person to fall in love with jiu-jitsu, we got to give this person a good experience. So let's not put them to row in the first class against that crazy tough guy. And I think everybody's becoming more educated. And this is making Jiu-Jitsu grow like crazy, in my opinion. Yeah. So the, I do think and believe that is the fastest growing sport in the world. And the, I think you can just see like, a, just like last week, I was watching an interview between Joe Rogan and Mark Zuckerberg. And they were both discussing this, how Mark Zuckerberg was saying, like, uh, how had I never, how had I never found this in my life? I only found it right now. Like, and, uh, and then he was saying that everybody he introduced to jiu-jitsu is a 100% conversion rate on enjoying jiu-jitsu. Like, he, had, he did not have one person yet that started doing jiu-jitsu and told him that, oh, I didn't like it. It's not for me. So I, I believe that it's the best sport in the world you know like you can do on any age you learn how to defend yourself you improve your thinking you improve your health and uh, it's it's amazing you know like it's hard to explain why it's one of the best sports in the world but when you until you're doing it and then you just get the bug and that's it you're stuck in i mean i can't believe we're in an hour already i would love to do another one to go into the business side of things and other aspects but until i can get you back on i thank you so much for your time it truly is uh i won't even say the phrase but what do you think of that being on t-shirts your catchphrase everybody loving that what do you like how what do you think about that being um, so popular with people? Yeah, so I mean, like, my goal. Some people their goal in life is to become famous. You know, like mm. that was never my goal or my dream. You know, like my goal was always to do something that that I feel like fulfilled and that I'm delivering value to people. You know, like and. The, so uh, I think like as a professional athlete it was more like a Bernardo thing. Like it was more like a, this is my dream. It was like almost like a selfish type of goal. And, uh, and nowadays with BGJ Fanatics, I really feel myself very fulfilled because I really feel that we are delivering value to customers and to yeah. instructors. You know, like I feel like we're, uh, we're not doing this just for ourselves anymore. Like now this is for the jiu-jitsu community and the, and the, and it's, it's very grateful when you do something that you see that people appreciate it, you know, like that you're not being tricky. You're not being dishonest. You're just doing your best and people are appreciating and you keep going and you do more and more and more. So it, and then ended up becoming popular in the jiu-jitsu world because that. So it feels good to be famous on that way. But it I was mean, never my goal to become the Instagram famous person, you know. Like, and the, I mean, that's and like me. I wanted to create a podcast so I could have somebody like you say it was a huge honor to come on. You know, but it's like I, I love how that's become like synonymous with 
jujitsu. You know, everybody knows it. Everybody knows you. Everybody adores you. You know, you're giving back to so many people. You're changing lives. You're transforming jujitsu from this small kind of niche sport into this global phenomenon. But what would you want people to take from this interview? What would you like them to remember or to go and do? You know, like what message would you want to give to people listening? Huh, that's a good question as well. Like, but um, I mean, like five seconds answer here. I would almost like give back to jujitsu. You know, like I would, I would almost say like, uh, believing in jujitsu. You know, like uh, I truly believe that it's the best sport in the world. And the the whole jujitsu philosophy as well that we were talking here in the interview, you know, like how how much it teaches us about life. You know, like mm. about like uh, being comfortable on uncomfortable positions. About how much it helps our health, how much it helps our self socializing and creating a network of friends, of good people. So I, I would almost say, like, believe in jujitsu. You know, like, if you're doing jujitsu, you're doing a good thing. You know, like, and it's going to be good for yourself, for your health, for I think it's just like good things, you know, like love it and how can people keep in touch with you how can we follow along how can we find the instructionals how can we get, find about the jiu-jitsu camp that's coming up you know how and how do you want us to get involved and follow along and you know connect with you on social media and those sorts of things yeah so the our website is bjjfanatics.com and the on social media, my name is Bernardo Faria, right? So on YouTube is Bernardo Faria BGJ Fanatics. On Instagram is Bernardo Faria, and we are constantly putting out content from uh, a lot of great content as well on the social media. And we also have an Instagram and YouTube channel for BGJ Fanatics. So make sure to follow us, and you're gonna get updated on everything that's going on. And uh, I think that's about it. And uh, yeah, thanks so much. It was a huge honor for me to do <laughs> this interview with you. You had great questions and I really enjoyed the time here. Well, that's it for another week. And thank you for listening. It's now time to take what you've learned and use it to develop and enhance your life with the key points mentioned. Listen, try it, embrace it, use it, and crush it. Now's your time to hit that next level in your life. If you liked this episode, then please leave a comment on the show notes or a review of the show on your podcast platform. Everything helps evolve the show. Until next week, keep seeking the next level in your life.